Hello, everybody, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hey, everyone. Today, we will be discussing Season 4, Episode 12, Did I Stutter? In this episode, Michael leaves his legacy, Andy sells his car, and Stanley hits the breaking point. In this cold open, we get a very kind of classic Michael reaction to something. And he just bursts into the office and just says, guys, I need ideas right now. And nobody knows what he's talking about. He's very, very excited. He's very, very worked up about something. And in his excitement, he fails to mention why he needs ideas or why he is excited. Yes, Michael just comes in and says, once in a lifetime opportunity, come on, people, come on. And Pam has to say, Michael, no one has any idea what you're talking about. And Michael says that there is wet cement outside and he he needs to know what to write in it. Kevin is the first one to give a suggestion and he suggests Michael's initials, which Michael quickly dismisses saying that someone could come along and take credit for those initials. Phyllis tries to tell a story about when she was a girl and her and a friend stumbled upon wet cement, but she couldn't quite remember what they wrote or get it out. And finally, Kelly's the one that really hits the nail on the head for Michael. She is talking about how she was watching Entertainment Tonight or some TV show. I think she says E. Sure. And she was talking about seeing Will Smith in front of some theater, and he looked so good. It's not some theater. It's the Hollywood Walk of Fame. The Chinese... Yeah, but in Kelly's words, oh. she says... Gotcha. Some theater. Yes. She is talking about Grauman's Chinese Theater, where all the celebrities put their handprints in cement. Yes. And, Sorry, that's not the Walk of Fame. And so Michael asks Pam to translate. Pam says as much here. And Michael's like, there it is. That's the idea. And then Jim suggests to Michael putting his entire face in this wet cement. Michael immediately loves this idea and they all rush out. Jim says some kind of nonsensical, like uh, memorializing type words. Dwight has put, it looks like Vaseline, uh, all over Michael's face and he has a straw in his mouth as a little bit of a breathing hole, I guess. Uh, and kind of a cap over his hair. And then he just goes, and Dwight says to smash it in as deep as he can, to which Michael responds, that's what she said, while his face is pressed into the cement. And at the end, it seems as though there's a little bit of a struggle to get Michael out of this hole. Funny what cement story, or at least it's funny to me. It was funny at the time. Um, one day, I think it was my senior year of high school, we were running for cross country and we were getting back from a run. And I mean, this was a block away from, from our school and they were doing road construction. I, th- I think it was during the summer cause there weren't any, there was nobody in the school or nothing like that. And it was, wasn't very busy. 
uh, on the roads. And so they were doing road, road construction and there was one of my teammates was ahead of me and he went out around these cones around the construction site to get around everything. And so I cut it a little bit shorter than he, what he did. And I was mid stride when I hear, don't do that. And I went two steps into wet cement. Oh, did you ruin your shoes? Yes, oh, I God. ruined my shoes. That really sucks. I, I don't think they were, I can't remember if they were ruined or not. I think I got them cleaned off enough to where they weren't just blocks of cement. But they like, I remember them drying like the cement drying and they were very very dusty for a while so i can't remember if i had to get brand new shoes or not but yes for the most part those those shoes were uh damaged did you not see the wet cement or notice the wet cement i think i i in my memory i was outside of the coned area and i just cut it a little too sharp um other people who saw this were like, no way you were like running straight through. Good job, dear. And this was after, this was probably after like a six mile run. So maybe I was just a little like a little tired delirious. and delirious. So yeah, it's very possible that I just was just like, just went straight through. So this episode really only has one thing of real importance that goes on. And it starts with as many things do, a meeting in the conference room. And Michael is doing one of those just kind of stereotypical corporate meetings where they are trying to build off of like a word. And this word is energize. Michael is trying to figure out how the office can energize more, whatever that means. Yes, Michael says he really hasn't done anything since Christmas, and everything's just sad. So what can they do to really bring some energy to the office? Andy, of course, is the first one with a non-solution, suggesting that their outgoing messages should be re-recorded to have more zing and pep. Which, what does that really mean? But Michael bites on this because... <laughs> And in to quote Michael, he's like zing and pep. Yes, those are the words we're looking for. So the idea in and of itself, I don't think it's a terrible idea. It's pointless, but it's not a terrible idea. But Michael is more like, oh, zing and pep equal energy. Perfect. Yes, let's go with that. I help run like a an organization. And one of the things that drives me most crazy is when we get really pointless suggestions like this on some of our just forms after events. Well, you should have it be more this. And there's no concrete idea about how to do this, which is Andy's entire solution. Or it would be really great if you could get more people to attend. Yeah, it would be really great to get more people to attend. Let me know how we can do that. And then maybe more people would come. So Jim, seizing on Andy's sort of non-idea, says, I have an even better idea. Why don't we record a newer outgoing message with even more zing and more pep? 
To which Michael's like, yes, now we're cooking. Like, this is great. And so what starts out innocently enough turns pretty dark very quickly. Because after this, Michael's like, I was thinking there could be like a theme or like maybe a rap. And so Michael turns to the only black guy in the room in Stanley and is like, Stanley, can you help us out with this? You're kind of the expert in the area. And Stanley first at first ignores Michael. And Michael continues to go back to Stanley, trying to get him to engage. And Stanley is having none of it. He's like, nope, just don't talk to me. And Stanley is getting more and more irritable as Michael continues to try to get Stanley to participate here until it is too much for Stanley. And he says, did I stutter? Stanley snaps and yells it at Michael. And everyone sort of just has this hush break over. And Michael is pretty stunned and says, okay, uh, I got to get a drink of water. Like he doesn't really recover well at all. And the meeting really disperses from there. Later in the day, Toby comes into Michael's office to kind of talk about what happened in the conference room and what needs to happen after this. Specifically, how Michael is going to discipline Stanley. And Michael is really trying to play this off. He says that, no, that was just joking. That's what, but that's what friends do is they joke back and forth. And so Michael is really trying to play this off real hard. And there's a lot of layers to this. And it could be seen that Michael's in denial as to the relationship that he has with Stanley in the sense that they are friends. And that's what friends do when really, no, we know that Michael and Stanley are not friends is there if there is anyone in that office that i would not describe as friends it is michael and stanley and really michael and anyone in the office right and michael's the type of person that because stanley keeps pushing him away and will not engage with him michael keeps going harder at trying to make him be his friend And another reason why Michael has this sort of revisionist history on what transpired in the conference room is that it's coming from Toby, and Michael doesn't like Toby, and he wants Toby to feel like the outsider. Yeah. But mostly what we're seeing here is something that we have seen throughout the entire series, and it's just Michael's inability to be a manager, and he just has no backbone. Toby kind of gets through to Michael as much as he can, I guess, and says to him, okay, well, if you guys are friends and this is a joke, let's go out and talk to Stanley right now and we can get to the bottom of this. And Michael's like, okay, yeah, you know, that's a good idea, but I don't want to do it right now because I don't feel very good. My stomach hurts and I might go home early today. And so this is Michael just avoiding conflict. Would you like to know who often had a stomach ache on particular days of school, depending on what teacher they would interact with? Was that you? It was. I was terrified of the computer teacher in first grade. 
and she just really, really scared me, and she seemed super mean, and I had never gotten in trouble with her. Like, maybe it had been like, hey, pay attention in line, but I was such a scared rule follower kid that that was enough to, like, just overwhelm me, and every Wednesday, I was like, I have a stomach ache, I can't go to school, because that was computer day. <laughs> Did you actually have stomach aches, though? I've, knowing yes. you, I feel, yes, you would yeah. actually have, like, this isn't Michael saying, mm, my stomach hurts, I don't want to do this. This was you just being an overly nervous kid and yeah. actually getting stomach aches. Overly nervous to the point where I played YMCA basketball and had to be, like, fed children's Mylanta just to calm down to play a freaking basketball game on, like, a Saturday at 1 o'clock at age 8. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have heard this story before. <laughs> so, so in case you are a new listener, I'm a real weirdo. <laughs> later on in the day, so Michael doesn't end up going home early. And later on the, in the day, he does that sort of like drop by thing at Stanley's desk. Just going by for no reason saying, oh, thanks for this form, Stanley. And Stanley really isn't giving a second thought to anything that's transpired earlier in the day. When Michael says, I guess we're back to normal, Stanley's response is, I have no idea what you're talking about. This is a really weird thought process for Michael because Michael sees Stanley doing something that is required by his job as an apology, I think. Like the way he frames it here. In talking to Stanley, he is essentially saying, thank you for apologizing. And Michael kind of apologizes for his part in what happened as well. And Stanley flat out says, I'm not going to apologize to you. And in a one-on-one with the camera, Stanley turns out probably to not be the greatest partner uh, because he talks about how he essentially said to his first wife that he's not going to apologize for things he doesn't think he needs to apologize for. He said that to his second wife, and he's going to say it to his next one as well. And so Michael's attempt to mend fences here has not worked. And so now he realizes that Toby was in fact correct, and Stanley will need to be disciplined somehow. As we know from Michael in past seasons, He doesn't want to be the one to do it. There's a small scene between Michael and Dwight in which Michael is trying to find anyone else to discipline Stanley. Dwight helpfully has a color-coded flowchart. And really what it boils down to is the only person that can carry out this conversation and any sort of discipline is Michael. Well, there is another person that can do it. And it's Ryan, but as Dwight points out in his chart, in order for Ryan to discipline Stanley, he would have to bypass Michael in this. And the only way Ryan would know that he needs to discipline Stanley is if Michael were to tell him. Or probably if Toby actually did his job Yeah. Would then let Ryan know this is what's happening and this is what needs to happen. Exactly. In the end, Michael determines that the best way to handle this is to lurk by his office window 
until Stanley goes to the bathroom, rush out and tell the rest of the group that he's going to fake fire Stanley so they all need to act surprised, and then do that. Unsurprisingly, the fake firing goes not well. Stanley gets amazingly upset and even more upset when Michael says, okay, this is fake. I think we've learned our lesson. Stanley goes the route of the uh, baseball manager or basketball coach or whomever that gets ejected from a game (laughs) where you've already been ejected. There's not much else the umpire can do. May as well get your money's worth. So Stanley (laughs) goes in on Michael after Michael fires him and really just lets loose with all the things that he has probably ever wanted to say. And all of this stuff really rings true with what we have seen from Michael. Stanley says that he goes into every single day thinking there's no way Michael could get any dumber than he already is. And then every single day he is proven wrong and Michael does do something that makes him seem dumber. And Stanley is just laying into Michael until Michael has had enough. And Michael snaps back at Stanley. Michael asks everyone to leave the office except for Stanley. And it looks like Michael's gonna have some backbone here. And that falls apart immediately because Michael starts crying to Stanley. Michael tearfully asks Stanley why he keeps picking on him and really just breaks down. He's like, just doesn't understand why Stanley won't like him. It, Stanley just says, anything you would do, I would do the complete opposite. We are just not made to work together. Can't you just leave it alone, man, essentially? And Michael really does explain, okay, fine, you can have differences of opinion, but you can't yell at me like that. You just can't. It's not going to happen. So really, honestly, this is the conversation that should have occurred without all the theatrics of the fake firing. And they come to an understanding in that regard that Stanley just cannot be openly insubordinate and yell back and then just basically tee off on Michael with, any complaint that he's ever thought or voiced. We've had him voice some of these complaints, particularly when Stanley thought at the end of season three that Michael was going to be going to corporate. There's not really like a solid resolution beyond that, I would say. And it sort of becomes this joke because at the very end of the episode, Michael's having another like brainstorming meeting about customer appreciation and suggests some crazy notion of looking up the personal addresses of clients and going to their house in July and singing Christmas carols at them. Michael specifically asks what Stanley thinks of that idea. Stanley's response is, has the potential to be your best idea yet? To which Phyllis responds, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And Michael takes that opportunity to say, okay, everybody out but Phyllis. And as though that's going to be his strategy moving forward. I think there is something to be taken away from from the kind of agreement that Stanley and Michael come to, which is 
and this especially applies in a workplace, you don't have to be best friends with everybody. Like you, you don't even have to like everybody you work with. And I think there is something to be said about, you know, living in a space where you can have the mentality of, I don't like this person. It's, it's not a person I would choose to hang out with or spend time with, but that's how this is. I can at least treat this person with respect and have just a amicable relationship with them. I definitely agree. The workplace is a really good example of a situation or even a school, like when you're in college or even high school, a situation where you're going to be in a forced scenario with people and having to interact, potentially work with, sit next to, do major projects with someone that you would not choose to interact with if your life depended on it. And, but you have to because it's your job. And I think in the age of social media, most specifically Facebook and Instagram, we are living in an age where there, there's some kind of erosion of that, of the idea that you can just exist with a person. You don't have to be best friends with them and you don't have to be enemies with them. You can just exist with that person. Like I see so many Facebook posts and Instagram posts that have just likes on likes on likes, or, you know, when you're just scrolling through feeds and you see the same person's name come up over and over again as to liking this post and like this post, it's like, why are you doing that? Why do you feel like you have to go through and like every single picture in your feed? Mm -hmm. I know for a fact that most people follow people on Instagram that they either don't know or don't like and are just doing it as a facade to make it seem like oh we are friends yeah we're this, cool we're cool it's fine and so liking that person's posts for the sake of keeping up appearances is just ridiculous yeah there's also this notion that you can only socialize patronize be around people that have every same thought and belief and feeling that you do and it's just a sign of our times but there are have been several advice column entries on the internet about people that have hairstylists that they're apparently social media friends with they have different political views and the people want to know how to break up with their hairstylist and it's kind of like you could just get your hair cut and not talk about that and just Go and do that for the sake of getting your hair cut. Or you just go to a different person. Right. You don't have to have a formal breakup with your hairstylist. Right. So, nice tangent there. On to some other aspects of this episode that are a little mishmashy, you could say. Yeah, there are really only... There are three other plots that happen. And I'm using the word plot very, very loosely in this case um, that happened in this episode and really only two of them matter for the extended series. Yeah. At the very beginning of the episode, we see Angela and Andy in the break area doing a Mad Lib and Andy is writing and Angela is giving the words to fill in to the blanks 
and it is the saddest Mad Lib that was ever created. Just a lot of nices and talls, and it ends with a a man ordering cat food, which is just the most ridiculous thing to Angela. It's very Angela, just, yeah, a lot of bland adjectives and adverbs. And all of this is happening within earshot of Dwight. And later we see that Andy is selling his car and Dwight takes an interest in it. Dwight kind of bullies Andy into selling him his car for a $1,500 discount. Yeah, Dwight definitely overpowers Andy's decision-making by counting down and, and forcing Andy into a decision. And Andy caves, gives him the car, because Dwight has pointed out all these things that are, quote, wrong uh, with the car, like the bumper is sagging, the transmission's bad, etc. So Andy gives in. All Dwight does is wash the car, and then he's got a new listing. He's selling the car for a markup in order to make a profit. And like a like a hundred percent markup. He's yeah. he's selling it for like double what Andy listed it for. Andy's upset, but there's really nothing he can do, as Dwight says, seller beware. <laughs> and Dwight's too busy monitoring a three-way bidding war for the car on eBay to interact with Andy. And the camera pans to Angela, and Angela's intrigued because she has this weird dominance thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so for her, that's probably like a point for Dwight. Yeah, I think here is where we see the seeds of what happens later in this season start to get planted. And this is the best interaction we will ever see before between Angela and Andy, she's actually being nice to him. Yeah. The other plot point that gets quite literally just thrown in here is Ryan shows up for one scene and he is meeting in the conference room with Toby. And as Jim is walking by the door, Ryan calls him in and basically says to Jim that he is getting a formal warning about his job performance. Jim is really taken aback and he kind of nervously laughs and Ryan digs in and says, you need to take this seriously. And Jim says, I'm just kind of surprised. Like, can you give more details? And then Ryan's response is, well, don't get so defensive. And Jim asks if it's because he went over Ryan's head to David Wallace and talking to him about his concerns about Ryan's website. And Ryan says, no, I thrive on constructive criticism on my job. And if you want more details, you need to talk to Toby. So there's probably really nothing. I mean, Ryan did say he knows how Jim spends his time goofing around with Dwight up at reception, which is not untrue, but it's never been addressed by anyone prior to this. And Toby, who we know has a crush on Pam, is just very gleeful saying that all that hanging out with Pam and going up to reception is probably really catching up with Jim. The irony here is, of course, and especially in this episode, is that Ryan knows how everyone spends their time in that office, most specifically Michael. Right. And he knows that Michael is a terrible manager. And so if this was really a problem of you know job performance 
I'm sure that Michael would be the first one getting the meeting in the conference room and not somebody like Jim. We don't really see Jim inform Pam of this warning, but Pam does have a worried look as Jim gets back to his desk. And this will play out a little bit more in next episode. So to find out any fun facts about this episode, let's go to the annex with Antoinette. So originally this was supposed to be two separate episodes. So this was co-written by two people that were each supposed to get an episode, but because of the writer's strike, they ended up getting one together. So I think probably that there was supposed to be a lot more to the Angela and Andy getting along and Dwight sort of duping Andy that was probably going to be like a more extended B-plot. And then definitely there was probably going to be a lot more to Jim getting reprimanded by Ryan. That really was just thrown in there for a bit of a payoff in the next two episodes. So the wet cement that was outside the office was actually putty. And the plan was only to do one take of this scene. So the director told Steve Carell to hold his breath as long as he could. But the crew didn't tell the rest of the actors that that was the plan. So there really was concern that he was actually stuck in there. So when people are like kind of rushing to help him, they thought Steve Carell was actually stuck in this putty. The Nissan Xterra that's featured in the episode was owned by the head hairstylist. And the next day after it aired, she put the listing up on eBay and it sold like pretty quickly. And the name of the episode, Did I Stutter, was actually a reference to The Breakfast Club and what uh, Bender says in that movie, which I really despise that movie. It does not hold up well in the year 2020 at all. Um, But I was like kind of surprised by that because I'd seen it before, but I just never made that connection. And was just shocked yeah that they just went with a breakfast club reference for this kind of big moment and it's the only episode that the name of which is just a quote from the show curtis so we did have a daryl watch this episode correct uh daryl finally shows up but he does not get fired he does have his trademark doing something there where he is clearly not busy And then Michael shows up and Daryl says, what do you want, Michael? I'm really, really busy right now. (laughs) In this case, Daryl is doing a Rubik's Cube. Why Michael goes down to see Daryl is to ask him about any advice of if Daryl was in a gang and what they did to kind of mend fences with rival gangs. And of course, Daryl uses this opportunity to give Michael just ridiculous answers. But he does not get fired. So Daryl Watch continues. Who actually does get fired in this episode, though, is Michael, Kevin, and Stanley. Michael and Kevin get fired for very similar reasons. The third very pointless plot in this episode was that Pam spent the night at a friend's, quote-unquote, and did not bring her contact solution, so she had to wear her glasses at work. Michael makes the comment that Pam is moving in the opposite direction in terms of getting hotter. And if she wants to be hot, 
she has to take the glasses off. Obviously, you can't say that to somebody in the office. So Michael gets fired here. It is his ninth firing of the season. It's his 35th overall. Kevin gets fired for pretty much the same reason, except he takes it even further. Very creepy. He says that he many of his ex-girlfriends have worn glasses and that it's kind of a turn-on thing for him. And he asks Pam to say, these are due back Thursday in just a weird fetish thing. So that's about librarians. So that's obviously something you can't do in an office. It is Kevin's second firing of this season. It's his sixth overall. And Stanley has to get fired for just the open insubordination to Michael. And just yelling at him. Right. Uh, It is Stanley's first firing this season. It's his second overall. Antoinette, what is your Dundee for this episode? The Hard Knock Life Award goes to Daryl for his extensive and varied list of (laughs) gang affiliations throughout his life. Michael makes the just awful assumption that Daryl has been a part of gangs. Daryl says, oh yeah, I was in both the Crips and the Bloods and the Latin Kings and the Warriors and the Newsies, the latter two of which are not actually gangs. One is a Disney musical. And so this is just an extension of Daryl messing with Michael when Michael is just openly racist about the fact that because Daryl's black, he has to have had some of these experiences. And his advice on what Michael should do about Stanley is to use the, quote, fluffy fingers tickling method. What is your Dundee? The putting out the vibe award goes to Ryan. When we see him in the conference room, Ryan is fully embracing corporate douche style here. He is unbuttoned a solid three buttons down in his button up shirt really getting the chest hair out there and i mean even the top button i guess it'd be the second button even having that unbuttoned is a little much for a for corporate attire anywhere but the beach (laughs) right but ryan goes a full three buttons down so just really putting the vibe out there and he also sort of checks himself out in his rearview mirror as he pulls into the parking lot and before he gets out of the car. Yeah. Who is your employee of the month? My employee of the month, ironically, is Stanley. <laughs> Same. Uh, because he finally gets to say all the things to Michael that he has wanted to say for, I'm sure, as long as they have been working together. Exact same reasons, only to add, he's probably also speaking for a lot of other people in that office. Absolutely. So that does it for this week's episode. Please follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. And keep listening to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you can in order to get our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.